0: When uh, people uh, think of uh, Christmas movies, their minds sleigh ride uh, back um, through the decades of wonderful Christmas films. Maybe yours does the same. You know, films like uh, It's a Wonderful Life or, or great Christmas classics like A Christmas Story or um, The Miracle on 34th Street or, or It's a White Christmas, <laughs> But do you recognize that there are other titles that, have, uh, that are out there that show another side of Christmas? Um, movies like Surviving Christmas, which is about how depressing uh, Christmas is. Or another movie called Christmas with the Cranks, <laughs> which is a, a movie about the desire of one family to skip the whole Christmas thing altogether. Evidently, it, it's become more difficult in our world um, to be jolly around this season of Christmas. And I got to tell you, I think if, if we're honest with ourselves, it can also be difficult for, for us as Christ followers, as believers as well. During this season, we at times, we too can become uh, pretty discouraged let me read a portion of an email uh, someone from our church body sent me a number of years ago, right around this season, this time of the year. It said, Dear Pastor Joel, I know many people enjoy the holidays, but for me they are a, rough, a very rough time. Christmas only reminds me of loved ones gone and how things used to be. My mom loved the Christmas time, and with her in heaven, it makes any celebration really, really hard. I celebrate my head, but I don't think my heart will ever be able to really appreciate the season as I used to. It's just too hard and still hurts too much. So as you prepare your holiday messages this month, don't forget about some of us that are not as happy and jolly as others at church. For us, just getting through the Christmas season is an accomplishment in and of itself. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I think that was a very honest email. And my guess is that there are others um, like that person that are sitting here uh, this morning in this sanctuary. As we draw closer to Christmas, um with the various celebrations and, you know, parties that are going on all around us, all we feel is discouragement or, or disappointment or uh, despair. And there's this grayness that kind of just overshadows our, our personal life. And you wonder if in your life there's ever going to be color again. <laughs> I wonder, is that where you're at today? just trying to get through the Christmas season? Christmas is a holiday precisely because Christ came, right? (laughs) It's his coming that we celebrate. And this morning in the middle of your disappointment or, or discouragement or despair, in the middle of your grayness, I have some good news for you. Christ comes with hope. Why? Because he is a Savior of all. He came as a Savior for you and also for those like you. In other words, for uh, people like Zechariah and Elizabeth from the Gospel of Luke. Turn with me uh, in your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 1 this morning. Luke chapter 1. Um, Luke begins his gospel, really, uh, with this, uh, giving us a little background on this incredible couple, this incredible wife, husband-wife team, um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Start with me, Luke 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife. From the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no children, no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Luke uh, tells us that um, Zechariah here he tells us it was uh, Zachariah is a priest. Um, but understand something, <laughs> he wasn't a, 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 a famous big-time TV priest, okay? Um, see, the priesthood in that day was divided up um, into 24 divisions, which amounted to about 18,000 priests. Um, most of those 18,000 priests, they worked on small farms and were relative, uh, relatively poor, um, and Zechariah was just one of those. He was just one of those ordinary country priests, one of the 18,000. He was a nobody, really. And his wife, <laughs> um, well, all you need to know was that she was a descendant of uh, a priest, and she was also, well, <laughs> married to a priest, enough said. <laughs> um, but there was something that stood out about them. Given the time that they lived in, uh, Luke here makes sure we know that they were righteous in God's sight. In other words, um, these two people, they loved God. They were upright, they kept his commandments. Now, this doesn't mean they were without sin, uh, but evidently, unlike many priests of that day, um, they were examples of genuine faith. And then, of course, in verse 7, um, we get this troubling news that they had no children. Elizabeth was barren. And the days uh, of hoping for a child, well, they were long over. Most likely, in other words, they were at least 60 years old um, because in those days, 60 was regarded as a threshold of agedness. <laughs> and to be barren uh, was a sign of spiritual of a spiritual defect. Um, they didn't have, see, they didn't have fertility specialists uh, back then. They simply believed that God closed the womb of a woman because he held some type of grudge against her. So a barren woman was a disgraced woman. In fact, it wasn't uncommon for uh, a husband to divorce his wife because of her supposed flaw in those days. So in essence, catch this, Elizabeth was forced to walk through life with this, you know, sign hung around, like it's a sign hung around her neck that read, basically, spiritually flawed. You think you don't want to go to church sometimes. (laughs) Um, Think how she must have felt. And although Zachariah um, didn't have quite the same stigma to deal with, he still lived with this deep disappointment um, of having no child to carry on the family name, which was a tragedy for a man. For Elizabeth and Zechariah to feel this deep disappointment and discouragement, I mean, you can think about it. Perfectly understandable, right? I mean, here they are. Think about this. They are God-fearing. They are law-abiding Israelites, yet it appears as though God has passed Them over when it came to handing out his blessing. I can easily imagine their prayers, can't you? God, bless us with a child. God, why won't you give us (laughs) any children? God, even our sinful neighbors, Anna and Jeremiah, listen, they have children why not us? Yet no answer. Many of of us, I think, have something in our lives like this, something rightly or wrongly that brings on a sense of uh, uh, despair or, or disappointment. It could be something we've done in the past. It could be an addiction we, we, we battle every day. It could be a, a broken relationship or, or a divorce. It could be a great disappointment in the way that life seems to have turned out. It's not as perfect as we once dreamed it would be. After all, think about it. We've been living uh, you know, good lives. We've been trying to do our best, trying to be a good Christian, yet God hasn't blessed us. And your disappointment hangs like a sign around your neck for everyone to see. But in the midst of their despair, I want you to see this, God shows up. Look with me at verse 8. Now, while he was serving as a priest, as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was that is Zechariah, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. While he was doing his priestly duty there in Jerusalem, Zechariah was chosen by lot to be able to enter into the holy place in the temple and to burn incense, which was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. In other words, Zechariah, I mean, it's like he wins the lottery, He's picked out of uh, by lot out of eighteen thousand priests to burn incense in the temple. Uh, think of it as the, the the Super Bowl of his career. <laughs> but the, his amazing day has just begun, because while he's doing his priestly duty there in the temple, an angel appears to him, which isn't normal, by the way. Okay, I mean I've. Never had an angel appear to me while I've been doing my pastoral duty. Okay, it's not normal. And Zechariah, when this angel appears, is scared to death. In fact, look what the angel says in down in verse 13. But the angel said to him, "Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for the prayer for your prayer has been heard." Huh. Um, after Gabriel tells Zechariah not to be afraid, catch this. He says, "Your prayer has been heard." Have you ever asked yourself, um, when you've read this story, what prayer? I mean, I didn't read about any prayers that Zechariah had. I want to suggest to you that Gabriel here is referring to two prayers. Um, the first prayer we could expect, uh, one was that Zechariah and, uh, and Elizabeth, the, their prayer was, I'm sure, was for a son, right? Um, w- which I imagine at the age of uh, 60, they probably had stopped praying um, um, you know, for a long time. They hadn't prayed that prayer for, uh, uh, for a long time, and I'll bet even that Zechariah maybe had forgotten that he had prayed that prayer by the time this angel shows up. Second, I want to suggest that Zechariah's prayer, he also had a prayer for the redemption of Israel. You have to understand, the Old Testament, um, the last verse in the Old Testament uh, is this mysterious phrase from Malachi, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Listen to this. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord uh, comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. (laughs) Those are the last words of the Old Testament. And just like that, the Old Testament comes to a close. It's confusing, cryptic, (laughs) disturbing. It's it's not really the way you want to end a book, right? Right? Unless, of course, you're planning to write a sequel. After the prophet Malachi pinned those words, there were no more prophets, there was no more uh, written revelations from God for 400 years. Think about that. That's how much time elapsed between the Old Testament, end of the Old Testament, and the beginning of the New Testament. 400 years. That's longer than the United States has been a nation. <laughs> Silence. We really don't like silence, do we? Have you ever been in a small group praying and there's 30 seconds of silence? Everything gets a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? Have you ever prayed and and prayed and, 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 and prayed about a struggle in your life and as best you can tell, God hasn't heard a thing. I think most of us have probably experienced something like that. And at the time, it seems like like we'll never hear from God, right? But for God to be think about this, to be silent for 400 years, 400 years, I mean, what was that all about? No wonder Zechariah and Elizabeth were discouraged. But then, here, finally, after 400 years of silence, in God's timing, his perfect timing, God spoke again through the angel. The word angel means messenger. And this angel is named Gabriel, and when he spoke, what he does is he picks up right where Malachi had left off. Look with me, verses 13-13. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. (laughs) Zechariah and his wife, they're going to have a baby, John. And that baby was the very one that Malachi had promised years earlier. The very one that Malachi had promised would come, a powerful, influential prophet who would be just like Elijah. In fact, if you read in the Gospels about John as a man you discover that he even dressed like Elijah. I mean, he came with a camel hair coat and and a leather belt around his waist. Like Elijah, he, he called people to repentance and, and called people back to God. Like Elijah, he didn't even mince any words, especially for the religious leaders of his day, who he called a brood of vipers. This news that... That, that uh, Zachariah received that he and his wife were going to have a baby at their age. You got to think about it. I mean, that'd be pretty heavy, don't you think? He, he wasn't sure what to make of it. So we really can't blame him for um, his response in verse 18. Look what he says here. He says, Zachariah says, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. In other words, Zachariah says, are, are you sure about this? Listen, I, I'm old. And my wife, well, she's not exactly a spring chicken. <laughs> in response, the angel says, behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So what's going on here? Was Zechariah being punished? I mean, that doesn't really seem fair, does it? I used to think that that's what God was doing, that, that, that he was punishing Zachariah for his doubt. But see, I, as I looked at this passage, read this story over and over again, I, I don't think that's what's actually going on. See, I want to suggest to you that in his nine months of silence, God was preparing Zechariah for Christmas. Do you notice the irony in Zechariah's silence? It had appeared to all of Israel that God had been silent for 400 years. But who's mute now? Zechariah. God had been at work all along in the silence, in the darkness, in the discouragement, in the midst of the pain, in the routines of life, in ways that were not readily apparent. God was working. See, I think one of the lessons from this story for each one of us is that God doesn't necessarily work on our timetable, (laughs) nor does he necessarily work out in plain view for everyone to see. And it can be difficult for us to trust that God is working while we sit in darkness, isn't it? I think we oftentimes treat God as, as a McDonald's drive through <laughs> Here's our order, God. You know, now make it happen and quickly. I haven't got all day. <laughs> and if you're anything like me, all too often I go to McGod... <laughs> With my order, and I become impatient in the waiting, and I get agitated in the darkness and in the midst of the disappointment, and I begin to despair. It seems like God is silent, that He's not doing anything. But this story reminds us that God's not silent. He is at work. Zechariah's doubt and disappointment, Elizabeth's disgrace and despair, could not and would not stop God's unfolding plan from taking place. Now listen, I hope this doesn't sound ir- irreverent, but I sure wish the Bible recorded the conversation that went on between Zechariah and Elizabeth when he got back home. <laughs> um, although he couldn't speak, as a priest, Zechariah could read and, and write. And so I imagined that he wrote a note and passed it to her. And <laughs> she read it and responded, The angel said, What? And so now you want to what? <laughs> you know, listen, I mean, I, husbands have been known to come up with some very creative excuses, but that one seemed to be a little bit over the top, don't you think? The Bible says in Luke chapter 1, verse 24, after these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden. I guess she was a little self conscious. (laughs) So what does Zechariah do during that time when he couldn't speak? I think what he did was he poured over the scriptures, trying to understand what was happening. I think he, he probably spent long hours in prayer trying to understand what the angel had, had said and what the role of his son would be. Why name him John? Well, the name means gift of God. Okay, so that, that's pretty clear. John would obviously be the one Malachi had predicted, but was that all? I mean, just another prophet, another prophet who would mostly be ignored like all the rest. No. The more Zechariah was silent, the more he thought about that last thing that the angel had said. And he will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The Lord. Huh. The Lord. Was the angel talking about the Messiah? The chosen one? The Savior? At some point, see, I think it all came into focus for Zechariah in those nine months of silence. It all came into focus for him and for Elizabeth. And in their silence, in his disappointment, and in her despair, God had prepared them to understand that the, a bigger picture than just a miraculous birth of an elderly couple. Why do I think that? Because of Zechariah's song. Look down with me at the end of chapter 1. Look at the end. After the birth of John, starting in verse 67 and 79, we read Zechariah's song. Look at this. 67, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of the salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah sang, but it wasn't a lullaby. It was a song of faith. Did you notice here in Zechariah's song that as he, he sang, um, it was not about his own son, but rather about another baby who would uh, soon be born to a distant relative of his wife's. <laughs> it's not until you get to verse 56, 76, do you notice this, that he addresses his own son. And the role that he would play in this this event that we call Christmas. Little baby John would grow up to be a herald to prepare people for the coming king. After 400 years without a prophet, people had to be awakened from their spiritual slumber. They had to hear the the old, old stories. They had to remember the promises of God. They had to become aware of their own sin and the barrier that it is to God. Through John's life, work, and eventual death, God served notice that his eternal plan for the redemption of his people was finally at hand. (laughs) And in this beautiful song, do you notice Zechariah gave us several pictures uh, symbolizing the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. In verse 68, he he says, He will uh, redeem us from slavery. Verse 74, He will deliver us from the hand of our enemies. Verse 77, He will offer us the forgiveness of our sins. In verse 78 through 79, He will give mercy and hope and peace. In verses 69 and 71 and verse 77, he will be our salvation. This one who John would prepare the way for was the savior of all. That was the first song of that very first Christmas. And the big lesson, I think, for all of us is simply this. Even in our disappointment, Even in our despair, God is preparing you and me for Christmas. He's not preparing us for the holiday of Christmas, but rather he's preparing us for the hope of Christmas. God with us. Like the person who sent me that email. There's a lot of us, I think, that struggle with Christmas. I mean, Christmas isn't as happy and jolly as maybe it once was. So like old Zachariah and Elizabeth, we just do what we're supposed to do, never really believing that God's at work in our life to bless us in a way that will just blow our minds. How about you? Do you believe God is able to step into your life and bring joy and blessing where there has just been despair and disappointment? That's what the coming of Christ really means for each one of us. What Elizabeth says in chapter 1, verse 25, is true of each of us because God sent his son. She said, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Do you believe that? Years ago, James Dobson relates a story of an elderly woman named Stella Thornhope who was struggling with her first Christmas alone. Her husband had died just a few months prior because of a slow-developing cancer. And now several days before Christmas, she was almost snowed in by the brutal um, weather system she felt. Terribly alone sitting there in her home, so much so that she decided that she was not going to decorate for Christmas. Late that afternoon, the doorbell rang and there was a delivery boy with a box. He said, Mrs. Thornhope? She nodded. He said, Would you sign here? She invited him to step inside and close the door to get away from the cold. She signed the paper and said, Well, what's in the box? The young man laughed, opened up the flap, and inside was a little puppy, a golden Labrador retriever. The delivery boy picked up the squirming pup and explained, This is for you, ma'am. He's six weeks old. He's completely housebroken. The young puppy began to wiggle in happiness at being released from his captivity. Who sent this? Mrs. Thornhope said. The young man set the animal down, handed her an envelope and said, it's all explained in here, in this envelope, ma'am. The dog was bought last July while its mother was still pregnant. It was meant to be a Christmas gift for you. The young man then handed her a book, How to Care for Your Labrador Retriever. <laughs> in desperation, she again asked, well, who sent me this puppy? As the young man turned to leave, he said, your husband, ma'am. Merry Christmas. She opened the letter from her husband. He had written it three weeks before he died and left it with the kennel owners to be delivered with a puppy as his last Christmas gift to her. The letter was full of love and encouragement and admonishments to be strong. He vowed that he was waiting for the day that she would join him. He had sent her this young animal to keep her company until then. She wiped away the tears, she put down the letter, and then remembering the little puppy at her feet, she picked up that golden uh, furry ball and held it to her neck. Then she looked out the window at the lights that outlined her neighbor's house, and she heard at that moment on her kitchen radio the strains of joy to the world, the Lord has come. Suddenly, Stella felt this amazing sensation of peace washing over her. Her heart felt a joy and wonder greater than the, the grief and loneliness. Little fella, she said to the dog, it's just you and me. But you know what? There's a box of, down in the basement I'll bet you'll like. It's got a little Christmas tree in it and some decorations and some lights that are going to impress you. And there's a manger season down there as well. Let's go get it friends there are years when the christmas spirit is hard to come by and in those seasons i gotta tell you we can be thankful for advent considered a less flashy but still a beautiful way of being present in this season Give up for a while your your faults and uh, failing attempts at, at merriment and thank God for the colorless days and for Advent, for a season that understands disappointment and despair, loneliness and long nights. Let yourself fall open to Advent in anticipation to the hope of Christmas. That's um, that, that what is empty will be filled, that what is broken will be repaired, that what is lost can be, always be found no matter how many times it may be lost. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for indeed this season to understand these two people Zachariah and Elizabeth and the disappointment and discouragement, despair <laughs> that they were dealing with. And yet you came to them and you gave them the good news of a Savior who came for them and for each one of us. A Savior that came to rescue us, to give us that hope, to be the one who brings us salvation. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.